Welcome to Dermalogs, a podcast made possible by a grant from Sun Pharma Canada, Inc. through the CDA Corporate Supporter Program. Hi, welcome to Dermalogs, Season 5. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Purdy. For those of you new to this podcast, I'm a dermatologist who works in Halifax, full-time academic at Dalhousie University. And today, in person, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Mark Kirchhoff, He's a division head of dermatology in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa and the Ottawa Hospital. Together, we're hosting this special Dermalogue segment we're calling Derm Detectives. It's part of our season-long deep dive into complex medical dermatology. For this segment, we're inviting residents to present us with difficult cases to see if we can solve it. Joining us for our first case is Dr. Sam Armstrong. And for our second case, Dr. Michael McGilvery, who are both dermatology residents at Dalhousie University. Okay, we're doing something a little bit different. We're doing an episode where you can't see here, but we're at the CDA annual conference and I'm in the room with Dr. Kirchhoff. Uh, I'm told that he is the most frequent guest on all CDA related podcasts. So welcome back, Mark. Thank you, thank you. And in the room, I also have uh, two residents and they are both residents with me at Dalhousie University. So we have Dr. Mike McGilvery, who is completing PGY-5. We're almost there. The light is at the end of the tunnel. Freedom or a train? We're yet to find out. So close. And finally, we have uh, Dr. Sam Armstrong, who's a PGY-4 at Dalhousie. Great to be here. So thanks, guys, for joining me. And uh, and we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to turn the tables a little bit. And so where this is a resident uh, podcast, what I'd like to do is have the residents present a case. And Mark and I are going to try to solve the case. We're going to work through it. And we're going to tell you the way that we would approach the case that's being presented. Now, fortunately, we're dermatologists. We like to look at skin and photos. We have some photos that we will describe what we're seeing. It's going to test so that morphological descriptive abilities right off the bat. Absolutely. And you know what? That's a real Ottawa thing. So I think Mark should take <laughs> the lead on the descriptive. We should have a discussion for at least an hour about nodule versus papule. We're not doing that. Sounds like a reasonable thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> so the first case, uh, I, I do not know this case. Um, Sam is going to start off and uh, let's go. Let's give this a try. All right. All righty. Well, I really feel like the tables have turned here, putting you guys in the hot seat. This that's, is the way, that's the way we feel too. Yeah. <laughs> Mark is very nervous. So we had this case come in a few weeks ago. So we have a 35-year-old female who is otherwise healthy, um, but has been feeling unwell for a couple of weeks and shows up in the emergency department with some tender nodules that are draining pus. I'll mm. show you some photos. Okay. Mark, okay. you're up. Oh, we're doing uh, morphology. Well, um, I think the photograph is out of focus. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I the blame for that. All right. um, so I believe this is on the leg. Is that an arm and a leg? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to figure out. This is yeah. also like arm okay. and leg. Extremities. Okay. Okay. So arm and leg. Okay. Arm and leg. All right. We have confirmation. It's an arm and a leg. There appears to be an erythematous edematous plaque on one area, more of a nodule on the other area, both of which have a central erosion ulcer, depending on our ability to evaluate that. There also appears to be some hemorrhagic crust associated with that. There's some more diffuse erythema associated with the diffuse plaque. 
Mark, I, I think you'd pass your exam. All right. That was All great. Right. Ooh. Well, We've got a few uh, more photos. Now, now we're seeing a lateral cheek um, with what looks like a deeper ulceration. Uh, you look like that's actually the back. That's Sorry. a back. <laughs> it's really zoomed in. I, can, oh. I, I, I confuse the back and the face quite often. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the side of the face. Sorry. Okay, we're looking at the side of what's on the face. Then I can't see anything on the face. That's just a face photo. Is there something on her face? It's a subtle finding, kind of in the shape of the nose. Oh yeah, now oh. I can see it. Oh, a little, looks like a little depression there. That's going to weigh in when I'm thinking about different things on the differential. But on the back, we have a more mm, ulceration with a little bit of erythematous border, and it looks like it's probably a couple millimeters deep at least. Although really can't appreciate depth with a photo. So, Mark, what do you, what's coming to mind at the beginning when you see something like this? Well, that, that depression in the nose sort of gives us some of those morphological clues, right? So yeah, yeah. Sort of gives us a few different uh, diagnoses off the bat. Um, obviously, a vasculitis is on the potential. I think that's yes. on the differential yeah. for sure. Some sort of infectious thing is on the you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. differential as well. And uh, that old uh, NKT cell lymphoma yes. that uh, also gives one of those nose deformities. Um, so I think we're those three probably okay. in that realm there. Uh, there's always iatrogenic. You well, know, this you is what I was to consider. Uh, yeah, you don't want to forget about that. Is the patient doing something to themselves? You know, I'm happy could you ask. Could, could that be uh, cocaine-induced nose nose changes? Uh, but uh, we'll find out shortly. We Absolutely. will. We will. Uh, I was going to say iatrogenic too, even with some of those, you know, ulcerations or nodules, you kind of, people have injected and done unusual things. Um, you think about those vasculitides with the, with the potential loss of septum there. Um, I probably would at this point try to get a more fulsome history, obviously, and, and kind of ask some of those questions that you brought up. Uh, looking at the rest of the skin as well, seeing if there's any, I didn't, the eye was blocked out there, but you know, checking if there's anything in the eye, uh, ear. Okay, uh, and then I guess, would you, I guess we could get some of that information, but the other thing you'd really want to probably launch into here would be some investigations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ooh, maybe we should talk about which infections we think about first, actually. Oh, <clears throat> okay, which yeah, infections? Yeah, think about that. I think that's quite a broad, broad, uh, I would say number of infections you can consider. I mean, obviously the broad things are bacterial, fungal. I don't think I would go down a viral etiology no. with what I see here. So we're Maybe. in the bacteria and fungal realm. Um, Atypical mycobacteria. Yes, you could include that there. Definitely a possibility. Yeah. Some of the deep fungals, to your point. Mm. And then you know, staph and strep can always present. Uh, we'll say with inflammatory areas with hemorrhagic crusting and skin breakdown. So. You always have to consider they're very common, right? Yes, especially community-acquired MRSA can yep. sometimes have that weird nodular appearance. Okay. Good. We're on the flush same page. it out a bit. Okay. 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 So we, we need more history. Uh, so obviously we would do a full cutaneous examination. <laughs> I'm really uh, happy I said that. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are doing great yeah, on this oral station. I know, this, is, this is good. And, and I would take a biopsy. Is there a pathology station coming up next? Yeah, that's next up. Okay, good. Okay. Good. Love, I'm not I describing that one. I love interpreting pathology. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we'd probably do a biopsy, do some blood work. We're going to do a yeah. full vasculitic panel here. Yeah. 
We're gonna look for some other things. No, I would, I would, because we're we're already in the, you know, this is gonna be weird and wonderful. I do a drug screen. Uh, I'd probably do an autoimmune blood panel to see any ENA type thing. I do a CRP, see if there's a chronic or stomach inflammatory process that's uh, taking place. Uh, I might consider doing blood cultures if you know if there's a uh, potential background or you know for some sort of infectious thing that's going to make this thing worse. That spreading erythema on one of the legs mm. is, of course, uh, always concerning if you do have some sort of a ongoing cellulitic process. So, mm-hmm. Okay, we can get into some more of the information then. That was a pretty good start, I think. All right. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, residents. <laughs> <laughs> We're taking it easy on you guys. I know. I, know, I appreciate it. <laughs> so, yeah, on further history, um, she uh, was visiting and did have a history of intranasal cocaine use. Hmm. A fairly extensive history of intranasal cocaine use, but did deny IV drugs. You guys had asked that. She had been feeling well, unwell for about two to three weeks. Uh, and she described malaise, low-grade fevers, um, a little bit of dizziness as well, especially when standing. These were, she probably had about six of these lesions when she presented, and they were exquisitely tender until they drained purulent drainage, and then they were less tender but left an ulceration behind. Um, on examination, the nasal area should have a saddle nose deformity that was mild to moderate, as ENT described, not me. I don't know how to rate those things. Um, and had a septal perforation. And epistaxis was almost constant. Um, so we can get into some of the labs to start. We, guys we, would, love, we would love to get into I would love labs. to get into the but, but I do want to clarify one thing. Yes. So was the saddle nose new upon this presentation, or this is older? It's a good question. She thought it was progressing over a period of years. I see, okay. And she had seen ENT prior to this presentation? Yes, Okay. and on its admission. Okay, yeah. okay. I would assume that the cocaine use is probably chronic. Yeah, correct. Probably I just wanted to yeah. check if it seemed, because I mean, I guess I'd be thinking about different things if it was more, if this happened more acutely and the ulcers were like temporally two years down the road. Yeah, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, it's a distract us. Maybe, mm-hmm. it could be. It probably the plot is. thickens. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, let's get to those labs because that's what we need. All right. So we'll start with the basic things that were done in the emergency department when we were called. Her hemoglobin was 44. Ooh. And so... That's not normal. That was the main reason for her admission that day, um, along with these skin lesions that were going on. Her white count was 13 and platelets were 795. Her CRP was 210. Her creatinine and liver enzymes uh, were normal. Um... So those were the, the things we first had off the bat. As the first couple days went on, we had wound cultures done and blood cultures, which were coming back negative pretty consistently, mm-hmm. though she was started on IV antibiotics. And a few more tests came back after a couple more days. So we had ordered ANCA given the examination, which was antiproteinase positive. Her hepatitis C serology was also positive and that was a new discovery. Hmm. Her cryoglobins were negative, and her ANA was negative. Okay, okay. What I was going to say before you said that ANCA piece was, I was also, she said blood culture were negative, but with that history, she denied IV drug use, but I'd still be worried about other, you know, I'd probably have thought about an echo or something for endocarditis. Um, Although peripherally, it's not right in the right spots for like, you know, embolic uh, things, right but there. that's a, that that blood works pretty concerning. Uh, 
Um, especially do, you, the, do you know the flavor of cocaine that this person was using? <laughs> Didn't get into the flavor of Anything cocaine. Anything that you may have asked that's cut with? It's a good question. Such as uh, Levamisol? Yes. <laughs> There's also that the new drug... Oh, now it's testing my drug knowledge, which of course is extensive. Um, there is a new drug causing yes. some acro causing, causing ulcerations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Crocodile. Yeah, but is it has it? that's the, the vernacular street, street name. name. It of course, has a oh, technical name. name yes. Mm. Mm. Are we allowed to Google things? Yeah, I think we can. Yeah. In real life, you can Google things. Absolutely. Is it Levamisol? Is that still making its rounds? I haven't seen one of those in a while. It still, yeah, it still exists in the okay. uh, more refined cocaine circles. As you are well aware. <laughs> <laughs> what? Jeez, okay. how do you know so much about this? Authors, drug use. some music or something like that, exactly. music. Xylazine. Xylazine? Xylazine-induced... Whoa, this is total... That's not what I was thinking. I know, exactly. That's why I said this is relatively new. A lot of people do call it crocodile. I think it's sort of the same thing or the same family. But xylazine-induced skin ulcers in persons who use drugs. Just hmm. drugs, not specifics. It's a, it's a, it can be injected drugs as well, so it's... Oh. it's uh, okay. Hmm. So illicit xylazine use causing skin ulcerations. So I guess if I'm... Uh, you're, you you would have done a drug screen, so we're going to hopefully maybe get some of that information. I would also, with this, get a little bit more. You know, I'd like to see a urine analysis. Um, she had some imaging, like a chest x-ray, I think yeah. would be relevant here. Um, we, of course, did those biopsies, right? Biopsies. We, we did do we biopsies. Did do, we did do the biopsies. Histology and for culture. And, and for culture, yes. yeah. Yeah, we want those for yes. sure. Yeah. Cut. Uh, oh, would you do anything else right now? I, like I said, I do a chest x-ray, I get a urine for sure. I'm looking for protein in blood in particular mm -hmm. um, with, a, yeah, with an ankle positive. Vasculitis, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah, so we can give you some more information. The urinalysis was largely unremarkable. The tox screen was positive for cocaine and uh, nothing else. The multiple blood cultures, wound cultures all came back negative consistently uh, mm -hmm. over the week or two she was admitted. Uh, the biopsy itself showed granulomatous and separative inflammation. There was very subtle vasculitis at the base that was very difficult for the pathologist to find. It certainly wasn't a rip-roaring vasculitis, but they did comment that there was subtle findings of vasculitis and a lack of findings of vascular occlusive phenomenon. Huh. Can you tell us what kind of biopsy was taken? It was a punch biopsy. Which lesion did you biopsy? I'm assuming it was the arm or leg one? A, a fresh one on the thigh, so thigh, a, okay. a newly developing. So not an already ulcerated no. deep one. Okay, separative. And there was a lot of and granulomatous. Pus, like, during the biopsy procedure as well, so it was an abscess. Huh. That was uh, biopsied. You said the white count was 13, right? Correct. Is there like a normal diff with that? The diff was, I think, just neutrophils were okay. elevated. Okay. Yeah. That didn't help me. I don't really know why I asked that. I'm just trying to buy time. I know. Of course we are. We're trying to let our minds wander as we're... Mm. Yeah. Um, and then you had mentioned some imaging. I yes. can offer that yeah. up as well. So the echocardiogram was normal. Okay. We were looking for possible infective endocarditis. Um, and the CT chest didn't show any evidence of pulmonary vasculitis. Okay. Or hemorrhage or anything. Did it show like any that. abnormalities at all? No. Okay. 
You thought he was I wasn't secretly keeping like an infection in there. <laughs> Just kidding. So, I mean, geez, the, it's been a long time since I've studied pathology, but this something's not adding up here to me, really. The, I don't expect to see granulomatous inflammation with the positive anca. Trying to figure these two out together. And I'm trying to think how I'm going to get there. Mm. It's a challenging case. Okay, so... And the, the, the swabs and tissue culture were negative. Correct. It was all negative. Okay. Okay. I mean, I hate to say I might re-biopsy, but I yeah, probably a deep, a deeper, would. A deeper biopsy. Probably would to see if yeah, I could get some of that. Like a wedge. Yeah. Yeah. Get some of that. We agree. Wedge biopsy, please. Wedge biopsy. Okay. That wasn't done, but great <laughs> idea. <laughs> okay. Hmm. So, well, I'm still, I'm still in, I'm still thinking about a... Vasculitis versus infectious process that is still very high on my list. Absolutely, right? yeah. Um, you can see these separative granulomatous uh, inflammatory processes associated with atypical mycobacterial, for instance, right? You're still in that realm, um, and you could still consider a vasculitis still because the ANCA positivity would still be up there. So, I think we're still undifferentiated in, in our in our pathway. I'm sure there's going to be a, a very key finding coming up shortly that will point us in the correct direction. I think you're probably right, but you know, again. Some of the, the the problem too, you know, in real time is you do an AFB. Mm -hmm. Culture is going to take four weeks to come back. So unless they actually see. Well, let's let's do. Um, can we do a quantifiron gold, perhaps, or? Uh, yeah, we could do that. I think we could do. Yeah, we, I think we can yeah, do, we that. Could do yeah, that. That's relatively rapid, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Negative. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Well, that didn't help us at all. All right. There we <laughs> go. Another good thought. Yes. Okay, we're going back to the drawing board now. I guess the other question would be, if you see something like this. Yeah. Well, we're waiting for this stuff to come back because inevitably it's going to be time. Like, are you going to treat on spec or are you going to wait? Because we're kind of like in this I, weird yeah, dichotomy for it, treatment. Exactly. And this is always the dichotomy we see with a lot of inpatients. You know, do you immunosuppress them because you think it's an inflammatory process or do you, do you treat them with antibiotics to cover any kind of infection? Um, and it really depends somewhat on how the patient is doing, uh, yeah. generally speaking. Uh, with these findings, I would be leaning towards an immunosuppressive treatment because the CRP is highly elevated. Um, we have an ANCA positivity, um, so I would I would lean in that direction. And and everything that's come back sort of an infectious workup has been negative, and she's doing relatively well. She has no fever. Correct. She has no signs of infection systemically. So yeah. I, I would I would favor more of an inflammatory process at this point and consider spec treatment with. Prednisone. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I feel like I'd be reaching for prednisone here because I feel pretty confident that there's not some raging sepsis. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, even if it was, I mean, it might not be the worst uh, treatment to add, but, uh, you know, negative blood cultures, no fever, yeah. has antibiotics, has already had IV antibiotics on board. I'd be wanting to give a little prednisone or slimedrol. Or, 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 yeah, a fair amount. A little, a little, yeah. uh, but I'd probably be teeing her up to do, I'd, I'd probably do that too. Just also waiting maybe for some of the results to come back to try to hopefully halt the process and prevent more. Cause like, that one on her back you know, is going to be as far. Yeah. I, it, yeah. It depends on how fast things are advancing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we can chat a bit about where the case went from there. Yeah. So this was a bit of a diagnostic mystery and kind of remains a bit of a diagnostic mystery. There was a new test I at least learned about while we were working this case up and we asked our rheumatology colleagues about this case. 
anything you guys know about with levamisole and something that can help you in that scenario? Test-wise? I mean, sometimes they have a positive ANA, but you already said she does not. That's a good thought, though. So, yep. Hmm. So the ANCAs are positive in about 50 to 80% is, yeah. is what I read, but there's a specific ANCA test that you can send off for Ooh. within that called an anti-human elastase, which had to be sent across the country somewhere to be done. Oh. And that was new to me. New to me as well. Thank you for uh, <laughs> enlightening me on that. I, I don't think I've that. ordered that ever. But. Yeah. Anti-human elastase? I yes. Mean, levamisole-induced vasculitis is very high on my list of cocaine users, which is why I sort of mentioned that right Absolutely. off the bat. And, you know, we did see a fair amount of it in, when I was doing my residency in Vancouver. I've seen a couple of, of them in, in Ottawa. Um, so there, I think it still is out there, but yeah. Hmm. Good. Yeah. So what it's worth, it, it was positive in this case. Okay. Uh, GI had got involved with the hemoglobin, which looked like an iron deficiency anemia, and she had uh, gastric ulcers which they felt was the cause of that, and she was taking a lot of NSAIDs at home. And epistaxis probably also, right? Yeah. She bleeding and the epistaxis, she said, was constant. Yeah. So that was felt to be a separate issue, mm -hmm. perhaps, to what else was going on. And maybe a bit of a distractor in terms of her symptoms as well coming in. And then her the platelet was probably just uh, acute phase reactant. Yeah, I think that's yeah. Yeah, exactly. Seemingly and so the challenges, I think, at the end of this case were the nasal, the nasal findings, GPA versus a cocaine-induced midline destructive lesion. Um, we had ANCA positivity, which could be positive in her newly diagnosed hepatitis C. Could oh, yeah, be positive. I about that part. Could be positive in levamisole. Could be positive in GPA. She had this profound anemia, which kind of complicated the whole presentation and her symptoms. Um, I hadn't mentioned, but she had oral antibiotics before her cultures for a week or two. So whether that messed with her cultures any, hmm. and then the biopsy was. Non-diagnostic, I would say. We had inflammation and a little bit of vasculitis, so it didn't help us out much. So this this was a bit of a head scratcher and a bit of a trick. How did you treat her? Well, again, I, I like I said, I we the signs of infection are low overall in this case, right? I, I still point. I still think that you know if somebody and I've seen people who are drug users who have come in with an infectious process and they are not doing well, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that she was you know, still doing relatively well, pointed me more on that, away from that direction, I would say. And I guess if she really truly only does use cocaine, like intranasal cocaine, assuming that we believe that, that some of those other infectious risks are relatively low. Mm -hmm. um, I forgot it some way along the way, I would consult hepatology or infectious disease to deal with her. Yes, we'll go back and do that. Hep C. <laughs> I'm doing that now. Yes. Get some more cooks in the kitchen. That's right. So did you guys give her systemic steroid because I still that's why I'd, I'd lean to I'd, I'm still going to do that yeah exactly she improved dramatically just being in hospital um, okay and eventually we had tried experimented with some intralesional triamcinolone hmm. and that actually helped quite a bit okay and these lesions just seemed to kind of melt away during her admission and her symptoms mainly got better with improving her hemoglobin and so hmm. we'll be seeing her in follow-up but um but she improved kind of without systemic treatment. Interesting. Bit of a head scratcher. She quit the. Yeah, I, th I think we're. Uh, I think we got the right uh, direction yeah. and wrote. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. it right away. You know, you got like the clue with the nose. Yes. It really yeah. kind of. That's right. Tipped us off. Absolutely. It could take you down another path, but we I think we got a good differential there to start yeah. with. So. You pass the station. Pass the station. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll give it to you. All right. We can Good. maintain. Excellent. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
So let's try again with okay. another case. Case number that two. That was a good one. Okay. I was impressed you guys didn't even sweat with that last one. And I, I was... I, I was hyperhydrosis of the palms, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's very localized <laughs> sweating. It's, uh, let's get the starch yeah, iodine yeah, test exactly, on the go. Yeah. Uh, so we got called about this 22-year-old female from Emerge, and they said, come quickly, drop everything in clinic. We need your help. Stat. Which for us, like, oh, well, that's very interesting. A stat derm consult. And I'll show you the photos. All right. So there are the hands. May I? Yes, have, you may. may that, okay. All right. And you can flip through can those. Flip through There's those? nothing there that you shouldn't see. So, uh, you know, and okay, so basically, I think here, some of the striking features, seeing, seeing a young girl, um, we're seeing a fair amount of lip swelling so significant edema with some overlying a little bit of crust she's got some papules possibly vesicles i can't tell i think they're papules uh, across the nose and cheeks one or two on the forehead um, looks like a little bit of maybe a little bit of light pink uh, in the eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a bit of erosion on the lip as well yeah. with hemorrhagic changes there perhaps. Yeah. And then on the hands, um, there are, I would say uh, scattered erythematous edematous papules. They're pink. They're coalescing a little bit more in certain areas. Some of them are linear actually, which uh, is interesting. There's a very small amount of crust and scale in one of the interdigital web spaces. On the palms of the hands, there are, I would say, dusky pink to red macules. Let me check. Oh, yeah, I, I concur with you there, Mark. Those do look like dusky papules. And the dorsal hands. So. So there's a lot of different morphological mm. features to this presentation and I would go in very different directions given any one of them. Mm -hmm. So the question is, which feature do you pull out from all of those? Right. And so the first question, you know, obviously is a stat consultation. How well is this patient? Patient is well, um, mentating well, vitally stable, afebrile. Um, and this is about a 36 hour kind of onset of presentation. Um, and she's been admitted to hospital for uh, anorexia nervosa and has been in hospital because of that and then had been transferred over to the eMERGE to give this presentation that we saw that day. But sitting there while talking, non-toxic. And is she worsening or is she stable? So in other words, I always ask about the progression of a presentation. Did the person wake up with this and suddenly, that was a snap for the uh, people in the audience there. Uh, you know, did she wake up with this suddenly and it was this acute or was it a gradual development over those 36 hours? So luckily she was there with the nurse who's been taking care of her for most of her hospital stay okay. in psychiatry. And so it was able to provide a little bit of a timeline and history. So the lip swelling really started over the last 12 hours and been getting a little bit worse. Okay. The hands were the first feature that appeared roughly 36 hours ago. Right. And then she started to notice some redness of the eyes about six-ish hours ago, um, but still remained afebrile on their floor and then afebrile and emerge as well. Okay, interesting. And how old? She's 22. She's 22. Mm. I mean, the, the challenging things about cases that present like this is your point, which is you're gonna go in a different direction depending on what you're thinking. And so Correct. some of the thoughts here are similar 
uh, in some ways to to the case we looked at, which is you know there are certain certainly infectious entities that that would present in this uh, in this fashion. So you know thinking about um, like Coxsackie virus, mm -hmm. uh, other viral things that can induce sort of a more reactionary pattern. Um, yeah, I, was, I would like to look at her tongue if that's possible. Let me see if we have one. I have <laughs> oral photos. No, Dr. Kirchhoff, what are you looking for well, with I mean, that? If we're thinking about, as you mentioned, a viral uh, process and a potential um, inflammatory uh, reaction to a virus, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so like a Coxsackie sort of picture, uh, we have obviously lip involvement, potential or mucosa hand involvement, conjunctiva involvement. I, I would put that somewhere on the potential. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think uh, obviously that's one thing. Um, the other thing, obviously, was we should ask about uh, history of drug exposures, right? Right. Uh, OTC drugs, any supplements, because if a person has conjunctal involvement and lip involvement, you always have to think about you know the big, bad, ugly things. Um, Erythema multiformis also presents with eye and lip stuff, so and hand stuff so again another viral etiology yeah that's that, that other i mean sometimes i'm gonna be honest i have a hard time deciding what em major merm like what's the difference or you know because to me they're kind of all the same thing just different viral triggers and some people do believe they're all sort of the spectrum disease and other people are splitters you know the usual splitters right. and lumpers I'm, I'm a lumper yeah uh so yeah, I mean, I guess in this case, we're going to do what we did before. So we're going to do a, a fulsome history. We're going to really focus on, you know, the, the time course, other systemic symptoms, um, infectious contacts, mm -hmm. medications, everything over the counter, and then do a, a, a thorough cutaneous examination. And we're going to make sure we've checked all mucosal sites. Of course, and a biopsy. Yes. Okay. Would you like some of that information? I would love it. Yes. So... Uh, from a medication perspective, 21 days ago, she started Lamotrigine. Mm. Mm. Uh, and then had been taking that for uh, insomnia uh, slash some anxiety, depression stuff around her anorexia nervosa. And then uh, otherwise, she had no sick contacts. Um, they didn't do much of a workup in psychiatry, as you can imagine. They kind of shipped her to eMERGE. And then so we were left to do some of that piece along with the eMERGE docs at the time. So we had done swabs for HSV and Coxsackie virus. Both those came back negative. We sent off for an EBV um, serology. That interestingly came back positive. It's positive in a lot of people though. I don't know if the, it's always the question, right? Is this a, a chronic uh, positivity like they've been exposed to it in the past? Uh, a lot of people have already positive EBV titers or whether that's an acute thing. Right. We were worried about a potential uh, strep infection that caused some secondary skin change. And so we did send off for an ASOT that was also mildly positive. Um, and then the remainder of her blood work uh, was normal, minus a CRP, which was just slightly elevated at 18. White blood cell count was normal, eosinophils in normal range. Uh, and then we considered doing a biopsy, but with the presentation, um, we felt at that time, yeah. Uh, it wasn't necessary, may not give us a good answer, and just because of the things that we were thinking of, may look similar in a microscope. Can I ask some more questions? Uh, uh, did she have any photophobia, any problems swallowing? That's um, a good question, yeah. So, was, were the lesions painful at all? 
the lesions had just started to become a little bit tender to palpation. Uh, Nikolsky's sign was negative. Uh, she didn't have any photophobia at the time. Uh, and then the, there was no sign of genital involvement at that time uh, as well. So this is somebody that with a history of lamotrigine is quite concerning for early severe cutaneous reaction. I mean, I think part of the question here is, well, if you treat it like a severe cutaneous reaction, is it going to cause harm if it's actually viral induced? And I think the answer to that is no. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you don't treat it as that, are you going to potentially cause harm? And to me, the answer is yes. Yes. And so, you know, I would at this point, uh, keep a very close eye on her, have her admitted to medicine, and then um, treat her as a potentially, well, stop the drug, A, which lamotrigine would be my concern. Correct. Yeah. But I would look through everything else. I would also want to know about, uh, again, the rheumatological workup, doing an ANA, C3, C4, looking for signs uh, of, I mean, that type of hand presentation can be seen with antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, and so I would throw that on the list as well. And, do work up for that. I'm getting mm-hmm. a lot of head nods over here. Cardiolipin. So, yeah, cardiolipin. Yeah. Oh, you're doing great, Mark. Okay, thank okay. you. I appreciate it. So, <laughs> those, uh, those serologic markers were all negative okay. on workup. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. All right, we're back with lamotrigine and drug-induced eruption. All right, scar. So scar. So I, I feel like I just, like I said, call it our scar. We have a scars or protocol, SJS protocol. So uh, really this is, you know, stop drug, supportive care, um, a tannercept, cyclosporin, mm-hmm. you know, five milligrams per kilo. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, we have a similar protocol in Ottawa. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd launch down that route. Okay. That's what we're going to give her. And, and every, like LFT, liver function, oh, yes. creatinine, all that is. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. Stuff. The things that are kind uh, of Yeah. The other things. Yeah. So AST, ALT, normal. Yes. Creatinine, BUN, normal. Your analysis, normal. Okay. At this point. And you said she's vitally stable. So I think we've got a good blood pressure to go on with the, okay. I'd probably, you know, I'd ask her if she's having trouble swallowing, uh, you know, cause I consider at this point, maybe intravenous cyclosporin for the first dose or two. Um, but if she can swallow or, or the oral, um, liquid, that would be, that'd be good too. Yeah. She had decreased PO intake from a solid food perspective, but we couldn't figure out if that was due to the anorexia nervosa or whether that she was actually having swallowing difficulty. Mm-hmm. So she had transitioned to jello, um, as her main source of nutrition over the last kind of 12-ish hours. Mm. Um, but again... So we could probably... I'd probably give her an oral uh, And I guess anybody who has... Solution. back up just a, a smidge. If she has a history of anorexia nervosa, I'd be also interested if this is a presentation of some sort of nutrient deficiency. Um, you know, I would look for things like corkscrew hairs. None for of the those. scurvy. The scurvy, yes. The scurvy can present right, with... You know, that, the, those hands can sometimes yeah. be a bit zinc deficiency, yeah, the acrodermatitis. Exactly. Yeah, acrodermatitis. Enteropathica. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I'll throw that Good. on the list as Add well. Add that in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think those are all good thoughts. No glossitis sign of, from uh, yeah. anemia. Correct, yeah. Yeah. No sign of glossitis. Uh, never mind. No, <laughs> no sign of corkscrew hairs. No purpuric changes. Okay. No um, gingival changes. Necklace, you know, we can go down mm-hmm. all these oh wow! <laughs> no. Oh my! Jeez, we're in a niacin deficiency now. Um, but no, and no sign of any dermatitic change uh, in the genital region. Um, nothing in the perioral area that looked dermatitic, as you folks have seen on the photos. Um, so yes, to, to Dr. Purdy's point about therapy, we kind of thought, okay, if this is viral, that's fine. 
we give her immunosuppressive therapy, it's probably not going to get this thing to take off. But if it is SJS, TEN type spectrum, then at least we're covering her for that. So we did do cyclosporin and etanercept. That was on day, that, that same day actually, we went back and saw her six hours later. And it had, uh, it had progressed a little bit. And then we went in to see her 24 hours later after we gave her one dose of etanercept and cyclosporin. And she had started to look like this. All right. So Mark looks skeptical that he's going to see something that he wasn't expecting. Yeah, these are uh, erythematous, edematous papules, plaques. There are some erosions and maybe very slight vesicle formation in these. So yeah. So I, I guess we are potentially on the road of SGSTN. Yeah, and then uh, there's there, there's another photo of the face, which may even be more. Uh, oh yes, I see. All right, so the hemorrhagic crusting of the lips has uh, worsened, we will say, in the last little while. There's now a lot of edema in the face as well, with and the eyes have become swollen. There's uh, mm. more mm -hmm. crusting and erythema of the conjunctiva. I think this whole face is uh, is pretty swollen. So I think we I think we made the right call, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean I think one of the big questions here is you know when is this going to shut down? So with the cyclosporin uh, on board, that's relatively quick. We gave her the etanercept. I have a relatively low threshold for adding an IVIG, especially in young people mm -hmm. for for this at times, but uh, um, I don't know. It's something to think about. Any other things therapeutically you might consider? At this point, we've given her cyclosporin etanercept. You mentioned IVIG. Anything else that? I mean, this we we sometimes will give a second dose of etanercept relatively quickly if we think it's required, um, because sometimes a single dose is not enough to switch off the inflammation that's present. Um, you, you know, uh, uh, IVIG. Uh, obviously, uh, there has been publications that have shown that there is a increased mortality associated with that with uh, SGST. Really? Yeah. Oh. So it sort of depends on who you believe. There is some uh, data from the pediatric um, SGSTN uh, world that prednisone actually is beneficial. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes if you're uh, still getting worsening, you have to go to prednisone. Even that also has you know associated mortality in a vari variety of situations. Well, I think that's a question too, because you know, with the classic teaching, it's like don't use steroids in SGSTEN, and if you do use them high dose, use them early on. Correct, yeah. Um, and so, but I feel like it kind of goes maybe a little bit back and forth. Um, I, I give her another dose of a Tannercept quickly. I think we should also, and I forgot to mention this earlier, but like this is where you're going to get the other consultants on board. So, you know, yes. ophthalmology, gynecology, um, predominantly, <laughs> if we need other people, but like for sure you're going to get those people involved. Yes, that's great. So we did do IV. Oh, sorry, go ahead. And she was getting uh, IV cyclosporin at this point in time? She had gotten two doses of IV cyclosporin, then developed a reaction to it. What, so we. What kind of reaction? It was erythema at the injection site and pain. Mm. And because of her underlying psychiatric comorbidities, we weren't sure exactly if that was something that was real or that was something that was being um, brought forward by the patient. And so we switched to oral at that point, even though that she was still feeling like she had some edema in the airway or in, in the throat. Um, and then because we got all those consultants on board, 
at ophthalmology come in to see. They did note some conjunctival involvement, and so they did do an amniotic membrane transplant. Oh, wow. Those are very hard to get in Ottawa, but... Uh, yeah. Um, the other thing I will mention right now mm. is uh, in anybody who has a scar, there's very good data to support nutrition as being important for long-term survival. Mm -hmm. So I probably put an NG tube down and start giving this person uh, nutritional supplementation. What do you think about NG tubes if there's a fair amount of like esophageal involvement? So well, I, I know there's been, G yeah, that's, I was going to say like, there's been times where we've had like a lot of esophageal involvement and had GI place a G tube just for like, you know, visualization. I, I don't know um, in this case uh, if that would be necessary and NG might be reasonable. And with her underlying anorexia nervosa, would that be a... That's, that's probably one of the reasons why she would be uh, progressing so quickly, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. So people who have nutritional deficiencies and an SGST and spectrum reaction, you can see uh, more progressive and worsening disease. Okay. So we gave IVIG for a dose. Uh, that didn't seem to really affect anything. We gave another dose of a Tannercept. She was still progressing at that point. And then, so we we're kind of figuring out what, what else could we do to, to throw at her. And then uh, to Dr. Purdy's point, adding prednisone in, we're like, okay, we're, let's see if we can get out of jail free here if we give her a big dose of solumedrol. And that seemed to stabilize things from a progression standpoint as well as took care of some of the swelling that was on the face. Um, she ended up going to ICU for uh, airway management at, at some points and then was discharged back to medicine and then eventually back to psychiatry. Um, but with, uh, she was held on prednisone or didn't get prednisone for a couple of days in ICU and re-manifested the edema yeah. uh, on the face. Yeah, you can't, like single dose, and that's, we see this commonly with not only this condition, but with a variety of other conditions, right? If you don't, uh, don't give prednisone uh, I would say for a longer course with an appropriate taper, you can get this rebound reaction and a lot of inflammatory and, infl in, and auto inflammatory processes and drug reactions, things like that, right? We see that quite commonly. Somebody who has an urticular reaction, for instance, you give three days of prednisone, they emerge and they bounce right back and maybe even get worse than they were before. Right. Yeah, because I think the, the thing here that's unusual is no response to cyclosporin, no response to a tannercept, no response to IVIG, very rapid and immediate response to uh, steroid. However, clear Nikolsky, clear progression to like a TEN picture um, and, uh, and significant facial swelling. So then it kind of makes you wonder about an overlap mm -hmm. and and i think this is why we might use the term scar like i don't know what you think about this mark but you know whether you're pure sjs or more of a dress or drug hypersensitivity that has that feature of like you know facial swelling um rapid response to steroid dress js uh i, I will never say that but sure you can <laughs> <laughs> sure mark you'll say it one day I don't know. What do you think about you know, what do you think about our arbitrary delineations between different severe cutaneous reactions? Absolutely, like, there's going to be overlap in these processes, right? Um, so I, I have no doubt, and I think we've probably seen some of those. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the reasons. Another reason, prednisone can be considered in some of these situations. Mm -hmm. Did she have lymphadenopathy? She did develop lymphadenopathy, okay. uh, and then her AST and ALT were elevated. Oh, okay. Um, eosinophils did climb up to greater than 1.5 right. times 10 to the 9. Dress so JS. Now, now we have, no, I think we're now in the, I would call this dress. dress. Or, yeah. Or scar. Yeah. 
drug, uh, drug hypersensitivity syndrome, right? The DHS and right. sort of that. I mean, that's that's what I think we're in. And then I think you're, if you're in this category, then you're really looking at a prolonged and slow taper yes, of prednisone. Exactly. And, and we're talking like, you know, I tend to pick two to three months to, to fully come down um, with with monitoring of TSH. Forget that. There you go. That's, I uh, to repeat that in six months. Yeah. Okay. And we've seen her back in clinic a couple of times. She's really resolved. And I think going back, I probably would have asked her to give me a photo of what she looked like before she came in to emerge. Because it really, she's a different person with this swelling. I didn't realize how edematous that she was when she first presented. So something I'll do going forward with most of these patients. Have you seen drug hypersensitivity reactions present with significant um, gynecologic and ocular findings? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I won't say I mean because again it's a spectrum right there's an yeah EM, I guess that's the question so an EM yeah. you see it uh, have I seen it with we'll call it quote unquote dress sure I've seen a little bit I would say it's obviously less common but it's definitely a possibility uh, I've definitely seen gen general involvement with SGSTN right and EM as well oh for sure and this is why I mean I think it's not pure here where there's like components that look more. TEN and components that look more DHS. Yeah. Hmm. But the end organ involvement sort of really pushes you towards, like, the especially liver. Once you have elevations of liver enzymes, elevations of eosinophil counts, then you're, you're going down that prednisone treatment route. Not to say that there are, again, papers that have been published about cyclosporin use uh, in DRESS um, and have been successfully uh, treated. So some patients do respond to cyclosporin. Again, I suspect this person's nutritional status is probably playing a role in their lack of response. Okay. Hmm. Well, there you have it. Uh, mystery solved. Mystery solved. Derm detective strike again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a pretty good name. Listen. We'll work on it. Guys, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate the time, the uh, cases, and the thoughts. Until next time. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. That's it for this episode of Dermalogs. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating and write a review where you listen. It helps others to find these interviews. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. For more great CDA podcasts, be sure to check out the JCMS author interviews hosted by my colleague, Dr. Kirk Barber. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time, I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy.